phase is locked and ready to fire, sir. Illogical. Hello and welcome back to uh, Federation Radio with me, your host Floyd, once again. So, yep, whatever. I forgot, forgot to upload uh, the second episode of iMod because I honestly forgot to record it. I intended to do it later that day and it just didn't end up happening, I suppose, which, uh, you know, shit happens. And then I had my birthday last week, so I was a little bit all over the place, but I'm back and here we go with iMod. So iMod, as the name suggests, is an episode about Mr. Mud, Mr. Harry Mud, who we actually met, I think, in season one somewhere. I don't remember exactly what he was doing in that episode, but he was trying to steal the ship and, you know, doing mud things. He's just a con artist. He's kind of great. He's a good little B to you, or side character, B cast, I guess you could call him, of original series. He shows up, I, I could be wrong, but I think he shows up at least once more. Anyway, in this episode, he has escaped the prison that Kirk left him in. He does spin a story. I didn't actually take note of exactly what the story was, but something about him being transported from one prison to another and then stealing a ship on the way and basically breaking jail and escaping. So he's out and about and he's found this planet full of androids, which is kind of weird considering future events that there's a whole planet of androids that these doctors never found, but... You know, anyway, we ignore that for this episode. That that stuff wasn't written yet. So for the purposes of this episode, like it is just a planet full of androids. Interestingly, the androids are from, they say, the Andromeda galaxy, apparently, which is kind of cool. So these are intergalactic. Um, is it intergalactic? Yeah, it's intergalactic because they're from the Andromeda galaxy. So they've come from a different place. Apparently... They had a species, they were a part of this species who created them, they just called them the creators, but they just say that something catastrophic happened to them, that there was only a few outposts left, including, you know, the main unit, who is called Norton, who seems to be the, like, central processing unit himself of all the other androids, uh, says that there was some kind of catastrophe that happened, there wasn't much left of their people. They brought them away from that galaxy to come to ours, supposedly, and came here. And then at some point, they've all died off. We haven't really found out why. Maybe they just didn't have enough kids. We're not sure. But the androids have survived. And they've stuck around on this planet for who knows how long. I mean, actually, we do sort of know. They haven't been here forever. Like, one of the units says that none of their android units as of yet has run out, has been like rusted away or run out of parts or whatever you call like died of old age because even machines made of metal eventually have an age, metal changes over time, everything eventually fades. So they say that they would last about 500,000 years, which gives us, you know, a little ballpark, not a whole lot, but like they, their creators may have died off somewhere within the last 400,000 years-ish. It's not a whole lot, but it gives you some. It's not like they've been sitting here for millions of years, because otherwise their models wouldn't work anymore. So they've gotten here. Their creators are dead. They don't really know what to do with themselves, it seems. They kind of say that they lacked purpose. So I got the feeling that they were just sort of walking around, not knowing what to do. And then Harry Mudd crash-landed, and they found a purpose, because they're androids and they are built to serve their creators. So they decided to learn about humanity by studying Mud, having him around, and they served him the way they used to serve their masters. They got him food, they did whatever he wanted. Now what he doesn't mention in this episode is interesting, because apparently they can make more androids 
just on a whim. They can create more. They can change their shape. They seem to have a lot of resources to just do anything. So I got the feeling they had a, what do you call it? A replicator, I think it's called in Star Trek, where they just create things out of energy. And they must have had a really good energy source from whatever ship or system brought them from Andromeda. Because they had the ability to, like they said, you know, create everything. They were bringing food. They could change their bodies. Now, what Mud doesn't mention is what they looked like when they first showed up. Because, see, the interesting thing about them is that we don't know what they looked like. Because we see they look human now. Like, most of them look like women. Most of them are apparently designed by Mud. So he's given them descriptions of, you know, pretty women that he wants or knows in the past and has told all the androids to be like that. Except for Norton. We see at least two guys. I suppose they're just meant to be manservants. I don't know if it makes a difference, really. We don't ever hear them talk. But we do see them, like, grabbing mud at one point, and they throw things around, so they seem to be, like, the muscle, even though all the androids are strong. Yeah, and they're all women, except for one of them, who is his ex-wife, who he created and programmed, apparently, with the help of the androids, to be his ex-wife in every way, shape, and form, down to the point that she nags. The only difference, as he puts it, he gets the last word because he just yells shut up and she shuts down. <laughs> Which, I admit, that made me laugh. That's that's pretty funny. If you had infinite energy in androids like that, you probably would create one or two of your exes just so you could insult them and shut them down or something like that. Just to have a little fun. So that, kinda, that was a cool little touch. Now, Kirk and that get involved because at the start of the episode, there's a really fun little sarcastic you know, conversation going on between Dr. McCoy and Spock talking about how there's a new crew member. I don't know whether they said his name at the time, but that crew member is actually just the android Norton. But he's dressed up in like a blue uniform, which I believe is medical, but he doesn't seem to be medical, so I don't know if blue is worn by other... Oh, actually, no, it's also science, isn't it? So he's some kind of scientist, I don't know. But he comes on board, he's acting like a crew member. Apparently Spock says he's only been aboard for about three or four days, so he must be very new. And McCoy is saying, you know, there's something strange about that man. He never talks about anything outside of his work. He doesn't seem to have a personality. And he's cancelled two of the medical appointments I've set for his physios since he's come aboard. And Spock, of course, is Spock. He, he is a Vulcan. He only works with logic. He is quite often picked on by McCoy himself as being somewhat of a machine himself. And when when McCoy says there must be something wrong with a man who doesn't do anything outside of his work and has no personality, Spock just says, ah, I see, and goes to walk away. He sort of calls him back. He's like, I'm sorry, Spock. I meant for a human. The ears make all the difference. And Spock just looks at him and just says, I see. Well, he hasn't done anything wrong. He's been here for four days, and I found that he's a decent officer. And he just sort of walks off. But um, not long afterwards... We get a problem on the ship. Kirk's sitting on the bridge. Everything's going as normal. And all of a sudden we see the auxiliary control of the ship. The auxiliary bridge. Which was interesting actually. It was interesting that they have that. Because it's not something I remember about the original series. We all know later on the saucer section can separate. And there is an auxiliary or a battle bridge as it's sometimes called on all ships. But as of yet in original series. This is the first time they've ever mentioned an alternative bridge. And I'm going to try and keep an eye on it. But I don't think they ever use it again but it is interesting to note that it is on the ship so this is probably part of Starfleet's design even back in this era so you know that's cool so we see the auxiliary control and that guy in blue comes in the android that we now know is Norton and he just 
one smacks this human out. Obviously, he has strength far beyond a human. I don't, they don't exactly say what his strength is, but Data in Next Generation is also an android, and he is said to have had ten times the average human strength. He's even seen to be able to grab like a Klingon's wrist and squeeze it and have them like on their knees in pain. So, like, he's strong. So if these androids are anywhere close to his strength level, yeah, it's perfectly believable he could walk in a room, just one slap a man unconscious. So he comes in, slaps the man unconscious, puts in a new um, system, a new, like, direction for the ship, and the ship starts moving. Then it flicks back to the bridge, and we see Mr. Sulu sitting at the front. He's like, Captain, uh, someone's just played around with our direction here. And Kirk says, well, fix it. And he goes to fix it, and he says to me, it's not responding to me. We don't seem to be able to move. So Kirk immediately, like, okay, something's wrong. Goes to call the auxiliary bridge, like, what's going on down there? Are you conducting a test or something? What's happening? Gets nothing. Doesn't understand what's going on. And then he says, all right, get Spock up here, because he's obviously off duty. He's like, And Spock comes onto the bridge pretty quickly, and he's like, what's going on, Captain? We're moving, and we don't know why, and we can't stop it. He just sort of raises one eyebrow. Interesting. And walks off. So, it kind of, it's really cool at this point. I like seeing this android take over the ship basically on his own. So we we see this process of, he goes to Auxiliary Bridge, like I said, he puts in the new directions, locks out the system, and then walks away. Security's on its way, but it's too late. He's already gone from there. He's done his thing. He then shows up in engineering, knocks out all the engineers. Scotty manages to, like, with his last breath before he's knocked out completely, you know, contact the captain and say he's here. But by the time security gets there, he's gone again. He's taken over engineering. He's done something. We don't get to see what he's done, but he's done something. Then, as Kirk's freaking out on the bridge, and he's about to like go down and help his crew work out what's going on here, and he's organizing search parties, Norton, the guy that they're looking for, walks right onto the bridge, just looks at Kirk, grabs him with one arm, and we get the impression from Kirk's face that like he grabs him very roughly. It's very clear that like he's far beyond his strength. He hurts him, and he picks him up and throws him back without exerting any effort to the with enough strength that Kirk kind of looks at him and even Kirk's not swinging a fist because Kirk's normally the first to box anybody he doesn't care if it's four on one he'll go for it but that grab that shook him that was enough for him to be like okay who are you and where are we going (laughs) because from that grab he could tell straight away fighting back is absolutely pointless so Norton takes them to this planet well he says I am I am here, and he sort of opens up his stomach and shows that he is an android and says, I am here amongst you humans to bring you to this location. We require humans for study. And then he crosses his arms, and oh no, sorry, actually before he crosses his arms, he says, I have set your engines to explode. If you try and reprogram this ship to do anything but go on the course I have labeled, the engines will explode and you will all die. And then he crosses his arms, and he just goes to sleep, just turns himself off. They can't find any indication that he's alive at all after that point. Spock comments that he's a sophisticated android, and that he's right. That the systems, he's looking at the systems, and he's like, if the engines are set to blow, I don't see how, short of pulling apart the ship, we're going to be able to do this without risking our own death. So... They go for four days. They don't really say what they're doing. I think I feel like they try to take control back of the ship, or at least, you know, analyze how the systems work and see if they can maybe take back, but none of it's successful. We get to the planet, and they're brought down through the transporter to meet Mud. 
surprising everybody. Mud's standing there. Well, he's sitting on a throne and he's got this like fancy jacket and he's calling himself Lord Mud the First. He thinks he rules over this place. And it, for all intents and purposes, he kind of does. What he hasn't realized yet is that Norton is the central computer of this network. So there's hundreds of androids all programmed, like I mentioned earlier, to his specifications at this point. What he doesn't realize is that he's here because he's being watched. He's being studied because these androids are looking for purpose. We don't know for how long they've been sitting here without someone to serve, but now they've met humans. And we learn throughout this episode, because like, they basically lock the crew up. They After they bring the crew in, they argue a little bit. They turn on Mud. They turn on Mud because when Mud's original plan was to obviously help the androids take over the ship, the androids bring the ship here, all the crew comes down, some of the androids stay to serve this crew, and then the rest of them are going to go off on the ship with Mud to serve him further. That was his plan. But they turn on him. When he's telling Kirk this and laughing about how his bags are packed, the androids say, No, we are sorry, Mud, but you are staying here. And then they make clear, like, yeah, we knew from the start Mud was a flawed example, but we had to learn what we could about humans if we were going to serve them. And they, in a very dark way, kind of, it's very robotic, like, they're not being evil, but what they're doing is bad and a bit scary. But they're basically saying, we will serve humans. Humans are illogical, unfettered, and uncontrolled right now. But if we serve them, if we make them happy, if we give them what they want, then they will stop being rowdy. Well, that's not what they don't say the word rowdy, you know, they'll stop being illogical, they'll stop being angry, they'll stop being emotional. So their idea is that we'll go out to the galaxy, the flawed humans need our service so that they can be calm, so we will serve them. And he says, you know, we can make as many androids as necessary. And at this point, they realize the androids learn very fast, they're stronger than people, they can mass produce their own numbers. They're about to have a starship that is the flagship of the Federation fleet, which at this point, I don't think it's very big. Like, the Federation fleet, we got a number a few episodes back that it was only like 15, 16 ships. So, like, I really don't think the Federation is very big just yet. The human ships, for sure, aren't very big. I don't think there's that many. They are building more, and I think by Season 3 there's a few more. But, like, yeah, there's not many. So they have one of the best ships in the fleet. A goal of serving all humanity basically by force. I know it sounds weird to say they will serve you but they will make you let them serve you. But they will. And they're androids, and they can. And as Kirk and that say, like, even Spock mentions, like, this is a troubling matter because they are perfectly capable of doing just as they say. They could go out and actually basically make all of human servants, and there's nothing we could do to stop it. I doubt Starfleet would be able to stop them. They have faster reflexes, they don't need to sleep, and they can produce all their own resources. Like, they're just unstoppable. So they decide they need to stop them, and they come up with a plan to basically fry them with illogic. Because they're machines, they work off pure logic, so they need to give them illogic. So they just feed them basically nonsense. Today you would call it memes and videos and jokes and just animation, stupid stuff. Just stuff that isn't natural to what humans act like, but we do it just because it's fun or it's funny. It's random. And they decide to do that all the time. They start dancing, they're throwing around, hot potatoing what they say is a bomb, but as far as the androids can see, they're throwing nothing. But they are acting as if something's there, so their android brain is like, can't compute what's happening, they're so confused. And it sort of fries them. Literally. Like, at one point, the women sort of freeze up, their necklace seems to glow, which is when they're calling Norton or Central Processing to be like, we need input, what do we do here? But they're sort of frozen. 
It's basically a computer saying, uh, error, please send report. <laughs> like, they don't know what to do. They've shut down. They've received a problem. They're done. So it goes to Norton, and then Norton is fed so much illogic that his brain seems to fry. He actually has smoke coming out of his hair, which is really funny. Realistically, this would never work, of course. You would confuse the computer, and it would keep having errors and not really knowing what to do, and you could delay it and slow it down, but I don't think I've ever seen a computer, like, overheat or fry or physically hurt itself because it was being fed errors or bad code or something. Like, I've never seen that. Maybe it's possible, it just doesn't seem realistic. However, I will say this is a bit of a trope, with old school computers in a lot of shows, and I think it came from a like 1950s, 60s, just lack of understanding about what a computer was and how powerful it might become. Both from like the computer community back then, the people who worked with them on them, you know, probably overstating how important they were to try and get funding and because it was their passion and they wanted it to be successful. So that's probably where we get a lot of these dark stories of robots taking over our lives and stopping us from thinking. You know, it's from these overly ambitious programmers who thought maybe they will have that potential one day. But tell you what, 60 years later, they still might have that potential, but we're still not there. But back then, they had an over-exaggerated viewpoint on it. And I've noticed this in a few sci-fis, and even in video games. Like, in Fallout 1, the last villain of the game is a creature called the Master, who is basically... He's organic mixed with inorganic, so he's sort of like a robot, but he is like a mutant, and he's stuck in this vault. He basically can't move. He's become a flesh monster, and he's stuck to the vault. But he's part of the computer. And his plan is to dip people in this radiation that turns you into a super... Uh, what do they call them? Super beasts? Or something? I don't know. Super mutants, I think. They, yeah, that's it. Super mutants. These really tall people. The problem with super mutants, they cannot breed. Which means eventually they will die of old age. They have no way of reproducing other than dipping regular humans into the vats. So his whole plan is illogical and has a big problem where if he wins, humanity is not saved. It is destroyed by his actions. Even though he's trying to save humanity. Which is a very, like, we see that a lot. One of the ways you can beat that boss is the reason I bring it up. Is that you, if you have a high speech skill or a high science skill, you can actually explain this to him. And he gets into the circular logic of but I must save humanity, saving humanity will destroy humanity, but I must save humanity, and it messes him up. They actually do the same thing in Fallout 3 with President Edenbot, and uh, it's a common thing with robots and with machines to have this, if you use enough logic, put it in a logic circle where it just keeps going in circles and doesn't actually form a solution, or just feed it pure illogic until it has so many errors that it just stops responding, seems to be the go-to for how you like break android villains where i feel like if they're actually sophisticated enough to do what they're doing in these episodes and create things and sort of think for themselves like i don't think that would work like that would work with an algorithm or a basic computer but an android or anything that has the capability of thinking for itself or creating its own lines of code like programming itself i don't i don't see how you could fool that i feel like that at that point wouldn't work that's just human wishful thinking which is why Skynet is so scary, because it's wishful thinking. That's not really how it would work. And if we ever get to that point, it'll probably go like a lot of the movies, because you can't reason with it. And it's not like an old school 50 show where you can make us brain blow by giving it illogic. But anyway, but yeah, in the end, they use a logic, they fry its brain, and then they decide to do something fun. And I actually really like this bit. 
they decide Mud, instead of sending him to a prison or sending him somewhere else, you know, they don't want to be inhumane and send him back to be executed. But they don't want to let him go free, so they decide he can stay here. He can help the androids to make sure that this never happens again. And the way that he helps them is by serving as an example of how humans should not be and how illogical they are at times and how, you know, he is just an image of a disappointing failure of a human for them to study until he's there. They will serve him, so he'll have his food and he'll be well cared for. Like, really, it's a five-star prison that he's being left in for the rest of his life. (laughs) The funny part comes in and the interesting way that they punish him for all these crimes that I kind of like, but also think it's really cruel and might have been better to execute him, is that they give him androids of his ex, remember? He had his ex-wife android. They program hundreds of them to look like his ex-wife and to act like his ex-wife. And they say that as a part of the android experiment in observing you, you're going to have some attendants that look after everything for you. And then we start seeing robots. We see three of them that look exactly like his ex-wife coming out and yelling at Mud and calling him a drunk and lazy and good for nothing. And it keeps going. And he's like, Kirk, please, please don't do this to me. And they just sort of smile and they're like, bye Mud, see you hopefully never. And they just sort of walk out. It's meant to be a bit of a comical ending, but at the same time, it's kind of cruel. Like, are those bots just going to yell at him 24-7 when he goes to sleep? Can he sleep through that? Are they ever going to shut up? Like, imagine being trapped in a room with... Bad enough if it was one of your exes that you don't get along with or wouldn't want to spend time with, but even worse that it's a robot program with only the worst aspects of that person and it never gets tired, so it's just going to nag you 24-7 like that. Surely that is cruelty. You'd almost rather be in solitary confinement. That would be so horrible. But, you know, in saying that, Muzz is a pretty bad person. So it kind of works. Anyway, that's about it for the episode. I did have a realization while watching this that there's an episode in The Next Generation where Data actually has something similar happen. He, Without spoiling that episode... Something in his brain goes off because of a signal he picks up that basically prioritizes the command that he has deep in his brain programmed to him to override the rest of his brain and responsibilities to basically take over the ship and force it to go somewhere they weren't heading so that he can visit someone. Now, we'll cover that episode later, but that reminded me a lot of the start of this episode with the android walking around, one-shotting people and just climbing around, reprogramming things. Like That's basically what happens in that episode. Data is a one-man army that really, in that episode, showed me that he should be special forces. You you could drop-pod him into an enemy ship and he would take it over. He is that skilled. Having him serve as a one-role on that ship is almost criminal. He is so underused. <laughs> but, like, yeah, it reminded me of that. And also, I'll say, I'll bet when the writers originally wrote Data as a character and came up with the concept of having an android on board, it was probably partially that they didn't want to repeat Spock and having a logical kind of cold person on the bridge to bounce off the captain all the time but they didn't want it just to be Spock 2.0 so they made it a little unique with a robot or an android that's fine but I feel like the guys that came up with the android may have been fans of this episode may have even been the same writers because this almost felt like data prototype the way the androids acted the way they moved even the way they were acted felt a lot like data it was really interesting actually to watch it was kind of cool and the only other note i have that was kind of funny because it does date the episode like i know these are from the 60s but you know maybe one day 40 years from now these shows will still exist in some form somewhere some kid may watch it and not even understand what the 1960s were because it's so long ago 
Someone may watch it. And the fact that this line happened kind of dates it. There's obviously, you know, there's the Russian dude that I always talk about. And he says, this place is better than Leningrad about all the androids when he's in his little cell before they break out. The fact that he says Leningrad is really interesting because I don't know, like, I know a bit about history, but I don't know the full history on exactly when Leningrad was renamed. But if I had to guess, it was probably at the fall of the Soviet Union. Because Leningrad, my whole lifetime, I believe, has been called St. Petersburg. Throughout most of history, it was called St. Petersburg. But after the communist uprising by the leader Lenin, it was renamed for Lenin. Which is kind of goes in line with the city, just so you know, is called St. Petersburg because of Peter. Peter the Great, who was a Russian Tsar who westernized Russia. He brought in Western technology and he uplifted them from being as backwards as they were and turned them into a proper power. He turned them into the Russian Empire that other empires feared going to war with. You know, so he was such a great man, they called him, they named their capital after him, St. Petersburg. And then Lenin, after his uprising, kind of in honoring uh, that tradition, decided to rename St. Petersburg to Leningrad, probably hoping that, you know, Leningrad would still be a city in hundreds of years. Little did he know it was going to be that for... I don't know exactly, that's the bit I'm unsure on. I believe it was renamed in the 1920s, and its name changed either somewhere in between, obviously at this point in the 60s it hadn't happened, but somewhere between this episode in the 60s and the 1990s. The probably in the 80s when the Soviet Union actually fell in the late 80s, I think that was, or was that early 90s? I don't remember now, but it fell. Anyway, it was interesting that he called it Leningrad because Leningrad has since, of course, gone back to its original name of St. Petersburg. So he, that line was kind of interesting. It's kind of like when people mention Yugoslavia in old shows and it makes you laugh because you're like, yep, that's a pre 90s show. Yugoslavia hasn't existed for a while. And I always find that interesting. And going forward, it might be more interesting. Who knows what the world will look like in decades to come and which countries are around and in what shape. So I'm sure lots of shows will be fascinating, but that one was kind of cool. But anyway, bye for now, and I'll see you all in the next one.